Thank you, Jill. Beautiful song, beautiful words. Let me just say thank you. I am humbled at your generosity and hospitality toward us. This was something that we were not expecting, and I appreciate a pastor and the deacons and all of you for, for considering us. We knew last term, about four years ago, when we went back to South Africa after our furlough in 2015, and as we were working in our church, and God was doing some amazing things, we, uh, pastors and deacons and leadership, and both my wife and I felt that our time in that church was coming to an end. Uh, not because they disliked us, but on the contrary, they loved our family, we loved them. But as a missionary, you're working yourself out of a job. And we had the pastors, they were trained, we had the people who were ready, and we just felt it was time for them to really take ownership of that ministry. But we did not know what God had. Uh, we felt we were going to be back there, probably starting another church, working in the Bible college uh, that was started there in our ministry, in our church. And that was our plan until we got back here and uh, pastor sat down and the deacon sat down and began to just ask, would you pray? And the Lord had worked on our hearts and we just saw that uh, God was in all of this and began to move in our hearts. It's probably one of the toughest decisions that our family ever had to make. Try not to cry here. We've spent 15 years there loving the people, being with the people, and there's been many tears in this decision, but yet we see God's hand in this. And I can tell you one thing, we are so excited about what God has for us here in this ministry. Excited to be working with you, getting to know you, uh, pouring ourselves into you, excited to be working with pastor uh, for the next uh, many years, hopefully the next 30 years with him. And spending time and just letting his life touch my life and the growth that will happen there. And so let me just say, we are excited about the future. Our plan for this year was a transition year for us. As we have already told many of our churches that God is calling us here, we will be going back, Lord willing, in December for two months. We'll be really pouring ourselves in to our leadership of our church. Uh, getting our people ready. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, things of goodbyes and all of that that need to be said, but it's not just simply for the goodbyes. We'll be going back for two years uh, teaching and preaching, and then really just now the last step, fully handing this work over to, to the people there. So be in prayer for us as we go back and as uh, these final times for our family as uh, this is all our kids have ever known. Um, people say, aren't you glad you're coming back to the States? Don't say that to our kids. <laughs> right? Africa has been home for them. So this is a tough one. This is a tough, a tough situation. But yet we are discipling our kids and helping them to understand how God leads in a family's life and how we follow God even when we can't see clearly the path that's there. We're getting out of the boat, like Jesus said to the disciples. We're stepping out on faith. We're 
casting our nets, trusting God for what he is going to do. This week has been a blessed week, and thank you for all with the funeral with Clinton Anderson. Uh, what a joy it was to see many of you come together and just comfort uh, Linda and just keep praying for Linda. A few weeks back ago when Pastor asked if I would preach for him when he was gone, as I was praying and just asking God what he would have me preach, the text this morning that God laid on my heart is John chapter 11. So let me encourage you to turn there with me this morning, John chapter 11. This is the story of Lazarus, and I picked this story really for a number of reasons before I even knew, of course, that Clinton was going to pass on Monday, but just thinking through our church family. Right now, as I look around and as I think through the different people, there are so many different hurts that are going on, uh, many different trials. I think of Dave and Trissy right now, who are on their way to Montana, probably for the last trip that Trissy will take, to spend one more time there. Um, spending this time with Linda and the family and the tears and the pains that are going there. I think of the deans, and as we've spent time with Sue, their daughter, and as Dick and Carla are going down very quickly, and all of the pains, really, that right now are happening in our assembly. Others, as I look around, with the cancers and the pain and the hurts that almost many of us are going through right now. And the passage that really the Lord brought to bring comfort Many times in my life, and I pray this morning, even in the feeble words that we give will bring comfort to you, is John chapter 11 with the story of Lazarus. Now what I want to do is I want to start in verse 1, and we're only going to read to verse 6, and then we're going to skip down to verse 15. And let's read, you follow along, it says this, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Now look down at verse 15. Jesus says this, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go 
unto him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. And Father, once again, I am reminded that it's not my word that brings changes. It's not my word that brings comfort. But it's your word through the Holy Spirit ministering to our hearts, opening our eyes to behold you. And Father, even as in this story, my greatest need and the greatest need of every single person out here this morning is to behold you, to see you. For Father, true satisfaction, true enjoyment is not found ultimately in the things of this world, but is sourced richly in the greatest treasure that you've given, your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, open our hearts to see this truth. And Father, we'll make sure that you receive all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the message this morning is when God delays. It was a number of years ago, back in 2015 or 2014, when my family and I had just finished a little over a year furlough, and we were beginning to go or prepare to go back to South Africa. Now, to get your visas, you have to get what is called a police clearance. You go in, you get your fingerprints, and you have to send that uh, many times to the FBI, the FBI then does a check on you. That comes back, and that's then how you can go to the embassy to get your visa. We were told in that November that it would take roughly about six weeks. So my family and I begin to prepare, and we decided that it would be late December when we would fly back. However, as the six weeks came up, those papers still did not arrive. So we called them and asked when they would come, and they replied and saying, things are backed up, it'll take another four weeks. And so once again, our date was moved back to January. I remember those conversations, my wife was asking, should we purchase our tickets? And I said, not yet, let's wait. January came, they paid the paperwork still hadn't arrived. February came, the paperwork still hadn't arrived. Finally, late March came, still no papers. And during that time, as my family and I and our kids, we were praying, God, why are you delaying? What's going on? That which was only to take a little over a month and a month and a half now has been close to five months. And the question utmost on my heart and on my wife's heart was why the long delay? And as I thought back in my 22 years of ministry here in the States and then over in Africa, one of the greatest or the most common questions that I get is when people are going through a trial or a struggle and they ask this question, 
Is God not hearing? Why is God not responding? Why is there a delay? And one of the stories, and this was a time when you're just reading your Bible and doing your devotions, one of the stories that the Lord really used to help me understand was this story of Lazarus. Now, first of all, when we come to the story, I want us to notice that from verses 1 through 3, we find there an urgent message. Look at verses 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus. Now, we have never since this time met Lazarus. This is the first time in the Gospels that were introduced to this man. So John is going to spend a little bit of time to help us to know who he is. Geographically, he comes from Bethany. And then relationally, he's of the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And this is how we uh, meet people even today, right? This is how we introduce people. I was thinking back at the funeral that Linda had. And there was a guy sitting in the second row, and I went up to this guy, and I said, hi, my name's Lee. He says, hi, my name's Dan. And I said, Dan, where are you from? He says, well, actually, I'm from um, Ankeny, Iowa. I, I go to Faith Baptist. I teach there. I am part of the administer. I said, Faith, I said, that's where my daughter goes. What's your last name? He goes, well, my name is Dan Bukney. I said, Bukney, is your brother Lauren? He didn't want to admit that. I said, Lauren's a good friend. He goes, I'm sorry to hear that. But this is how we introduce, right? Where are you from? Well, I'm from this place. Oh, I mean, we go somewhere and my kids go and uh, who are you? You're a Peterson. I know a Peterson. Where are you from? I'm from South Africa. That's where I live. Oh, we know a missionary there. Is your dad Lee Peterson? And my kids go, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> this is what John the Baptist is doing. We've never met Lazarus. So he's introducing him because there's many Lazarus. So here he is. He's a Bethany. His sisters are Mary and Martha. And you remember who Mary and Martha are, right? Mary in verse 2 it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. This is the family. Whenever Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem, he would stop in Bethany, which is about a mile away, and he always stayed with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And it seems as if this was a very wealthy family because they were very hospitable. They would open up their home and people would come so that Jesus could teach them. Well, now Lazarus is sick. And so they send a letter, these sisters, and it's a very simple message. Look at verse 3. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying... Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. 
Very simple message. In the original language, it's only five words. But notice something about this. First of all, it's an intimate message. Lord, he whom thou lovest. Notice the sisters identified this one as you who you love. And what this shows, this reference, is really the close ties that Jesus had with this family. This was someone who was a close friend, someone that he had spent much time with. And so when Mary and Martha send the message, they don't reference this as Lazarus, they reference this as one whom you love. In fact, three times in this story of Lazarus is this truth going to come out. Jesus loves these people. And so it was an intimate message. It is a confident message. Lord, whom thou lovest. As Mary and Martha are looking at their brother, who is very sick, they think, you know what? Jesus will know what to do. Let's send a message to him. Let, let's have our servants travel two days Give him that message because Jesus will know what to do. So there was this confidence. Intimate, confident, but you also notice that it's urgent. Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Can you hear the desperation in that message? This sickness is life-threatening. And you can almost hear the plea behind these words, although not written, please do something. In fact, later on, when Jesus does get there, Mary and both, both Mary and Martha are going to say, Jesus, if you would have been here, he would not have died. Can you sense the emotion that they're going through? Once again, as I read that story, I'm brought back face to face with our own world and many of the situations that many of us have faced. The sinful, fallen world, the result of that is sorrow and death. Some of you have experienced that in the past. Some of you are experiencing that right now. As I sat there with the family, with Linda, I'll never forget that Monday or that Sunday night as the call came that Clint was probably not going to make it. Sitting around with all the brothers, what a joy. Hearing the different stories I don't think I've ever laughed so hard. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall watching the Anderson brothers. But as the stories and the laughter would come, and then the tears would begin to flow, realizing that Clint's homegoing is coming. 
I think many times when we're going through a situation like that, the very simple prayer, Lord, please help. Lord, this is what's happening. Never forget, it was when we first got to Zambia and our family was being plagued with malaria with all the sicknesses and uh, my little boy, just not even one years old. I remember him getting malaria, taking him to the doctors. Uh, nothing was working. The medicines weren't working. He was getting pale. He was getting thin. And I remember we came to the place where we thought that he could very well not make it. I remember my wife and I grabbing each other's hands and getting down on our knees with tears and just saying, God, you gave him to us. We give him back to you. But Father, if you allow us to keep him, we will raise him for your glory. I think that's the emotion. Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now when you read that message, what are you expecting Jesus to do? I mean, every other time when Jesus has heard this, immediately he either goes or he says the word. But notice, secondly, Jesus' response. It is a delayed response. Look at verse 5. We'll come back to verse 4 in a second, but look at verse 5. It says, now Jesus... What? Loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So once again, here is one that Jesus loves. Now look at verse 6. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he stayed, abode two days still in the same place where he was. So what did Jesus do? Here he loves them. He loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And when he therefore heard he was sick, you think to yourself, well, he heard that, therefore he's going, right? And instead, he stayed two extra days. Now, think to yourself here, and this is how my mind works. Whenever... Whenever I'm reading a text, I'm trying to find kind of the main thoughts in the text. And really, this is kind of the main thought. And here's what I'm wondering. How is it that Jesus delaying his coming shows that he loves them? Because when you think of God's love, When I think of God's love and there is a need, what do we think should happen? You can say it. The most loving thing that Jesus could do is to respond. That's the most loving thing. And when he doesn't respond, what tends to go through our mind? He doesn't 
really love me? Why is he not doing this? But here in the text, Jesus loves them, therefore, he delayed. Now, here's a question. Why? Go back up now to verse 4. It says this, When Jesus heard that, that they were sick, that Lazarus was sick, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So what what is Jesus saying there? Is Jesus, I mean, Jesus says he's not going to die. Is that what happens? I mean, Jesus or Lazarus does die. So clearly Jesus knew what was going to happen. But Jesus hints of something greater. And, And basically the greater is that in this situation, the message comes... Lazarus is sick. Jesus turns to his disciples and said, listen, this situation that you're seeing, this event happening, ultimately is going to glorify the Father and glorify me. So, what is it in his love that he's doing. Jesus in his love is going to open up their understanding to see who he really is. And to do that, he's not going to rush to answer. Now folks, many times that's how God works in our lives. When I was sick in Zambia for almost... 11 years, we've had malaria, uh, parasites, uh, kidney uh, infections. There were many times when I would go into my little office there in Zambia, get down on my knees with tears in my eyes, and I would say, God, take it away. Take it away. And I would open up with tears, open up the Word of God. And I can't tell you how many times in the midst of that, God would just open up the Word so I could see who He is. And my faith would be strengthened. Jesus says, I love them, and I'm going to delay because I want them to see something about me. I want them to understand something about me. So he delays. Now, thirdly, and this is where we close, not only was it an urgent message, not only was it a delayed response, but there's a divine purpose. Look with me. Let's just read the story, and we're going to move down to verse 15, but let's just read it. Look at verse 7. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. 
His disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? They want to kill you. And this just happened in chapter 10. You want to go back there? He says, let's go. Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. Now, just to help you understand what Jesus is saying, in this day, you worked around the sun. There was 12 hours of sunlight, 12 hours of darkness. And so you worked during the day. There is no lights outside like we have today. So at night you quit working. And what Jesus is saying is my Father still has work for me to do. My time is not done. So yes, they're trying to kill me. They want to kill me. But my Father still has work for me. Let's go. Now verse 11. These things saith he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Now what did the disciples think? Well, Jesus, if Lazarus is sleeping, this is good. Don't wake him up. So what does Jesus have to do? Verse 13. Howbeit, Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taken of rest and sleep. Then saith unto Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now this is really a beautiful picture. When a believer dies, it is said they don't die, that they what? They sleep. Because they close their eyes and sleep in death and wake up in the presence of the Lord. Early Christians called their burial places cemeteries, which means dormitories or sleeping places. I thought about that this week with Clinton as we lowered him into the grave. It's just simply a resting place. A place for him. Because we as believers don't die. Because who died in your place? Jesus died. Took the sting of death so you and I don't have to believe, die. That's why it is said, when a believer goes to be with the Lord, he simply closes his eyes and wakes them in the presence of the Lord. And so a beautiful picture. So Jesus has to say, he's dead. Now how long has Lazarus been dead? Think of this. Four days. Why do you think Jesus waited four days? There was a belief, and it's still around even today, there was a belief in Jesus' day among the Jews that the spirit of the person hovered the body for three days. 
And after three days, when they saw that the body had completely decayed, they realized that death was irreversible and they would go. Uh, Interesting, this is what they believed in Zambia. So a funeral in Zambia was about four to five days. And every night you would go to the family, and as the people would go into into this little hut, you would hear this wailing, strange wailing. And you're going, what in the world is going on? And the reason they would scream, the reason they would wail, is because they believed that that spirit was around for about three to four days, and they were watching every single person. And the one who was not screaming, the one who was not wailing, they're the ones who put the curse on the person, and that's why they died. And so be careful, because they're going to come get you. That's what they believed. Jesus waits four days. Death is inevitable. Decay is inevitable. And Jesus says, I'm going to go and we're going to awaken him. Now why? Verse 15. And I am glad for your sake that I was not there To the intent you may what? Believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. So what was Jesus' ultimate purpose in delaying his coming? Was this really beneficial for Lazarus? I mean, think of Lazarus for a second. He had just gone through the process of death. He is at peace. There is no more suffering or pain. He is being comforted. And now, Jesus brings him back to life just to go through it again. Right? Why did Jesus bring him back to life? Not for just Lazarus, but for Mary and Martha and for the people around him. It was so that these people could see that the one who could raise and give physical life to the dead is the same one who can give eternal life. That's why Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So the one who has all authority to cry out and say, Lazarus, come forth, is the same one that someday will say, Lee Peterson, Come forth, and up from the grave, that's his authority. And so what happened to the people who saw that? They saw who Jesus was. They saw what Jesus could do. 
And what happened to their faith? We believe this. We believe this. Now let me make just two applications and I'll close. God has a divine purpose in his delays. He knows what he's doing. Two applications, and this is really to me. I think the first one is we cannot judge God's love based upon his actions or his inactions. Because once again, here's Jesus says, I love them, therefore I waited. And many times we're quick to judge whether God loves us based upon that. But we always must judge God's love through the lens of the cross. What did Jesus do for us? This story, interesting enough, is ultimately going to be the final exclamation point that's going to lead to his death. It's this story where the Pharisees finally understand what he is saying about himself, he's God, and the power he has, and now they're going to kill him. And folks, why does he do that? Why does Jesus go to the cross? Because why? He loved you, and he loved me. And any time we're questioning that love, we have to go back to the cross. Secondly, trust God's timing. God knows. He understands what he's doing. And we have to trust that. I told you, as we started, as we were waiting to go back to Africa, five months had passed and it was March. And we're wondering, God, why, why are you not doing this? Why are you not responding? Why are you delaying? On March 22nd, I received a phone call. And that phone call was from a hospital. My mom had been sick for three years, going through heart failure. And currently, they told me she's in a coma. I quickly rushed to North Dakota to be with her, got there, and sure enough, she was in a coma. The following day on the 23rd, they tried different things. They tried putting her temperature down to try to save the brain, to bring her back. Then finally, when they were lifting the temp up, and the doctor came to me and said, um, we don't think she's going to make it. You need to be prepared for this. All my kids and my wife and I were there and we grabbed hands and I said, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here during this time. Because if mom would have died with us all over in Africa, the whole family could not come back. So there we bowed our heads, thanked with tears in our eyes, said, thank you, Lord, that we could be here. 30 minutes later, 30 minutes after the news that the doctor said, Mom is not going to make it, we get a phone call. And the news was, your paperwork 
has just come through, you can go back to Africa. What do you think God did in our hearts? Trust God's timing. He knows what he's doing. God revealed himself to us, and our faith grew. Maybe you're here this morning. Do you know this great God, Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in him? That's the story. I am the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. Simple truth, yet a deep truth. And yet, Father, a truth that I need to continually learn that many times you delay. Not because you don't love me, but because you do love me. And Father, you've got a purpose, just like you have a purpose for every single person here. And Lord, if there be one here this morning who's maybe never come and bowed the knee to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Father, you would just help them to turn their eyes towards you, open their heart, so that, Father, they can claim that you are the resurrection of life. I believe that. Then, Father, I know there's many who are hurting. And, Father, I just pray that even during this time, we can take comfort in who Jesus is. And that life eternal is in him. We love you. We praise you. And thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.